You're listening to Tom Fitton's weekly update here on JW TalkNet. Hi, everyone. Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton here with our weekly update here on social media. Thanks for joining us this week. A lot going on. I know there's a big election coming up, uh, but that doesn't dissuade Judicial Watch from uh, doing the hard work of uncovering government corruption and holding it accountable to the rule of law. And we haven't slowed down one bit, even as Congress has taken a six-week vacation or uh, break to go and campaign. Judicial Watch continues to do uh, the heavy lifting on your behalf. A lot going on this week. Uh, Judicial Watch has been in the forefront of highlighting facts and information about the border crisis, the caravans heading our way. Uh, Plus, we have two new lawsuits to talk about, one on a massive FBI cover-up of destruction of text messages, potentially, a new Hillary Clinton, uh, not email lawsuit, but it is tied to the email issue. It's about her security clearance. There will be some interesting information for you there that will probably upset you. And then secondly, we have new Soros information. The left is circling the wagons to protect George Soros from criticism, his Open Society Foundations from criticism, uh, but Judicial Watch is in the forefront of exposing the connections between the Soros operations and your tax dollars, and you'll want to tune in for that as well. But first up is the border crisis. As I discussed last week, Judicial Watch's team went down to Guatemala uh, to investigate the caravan. Chris Farrell and Irene Garcia, who uh, is one of our steadfast reporters in a Corruption Chronicles blog, were down there investigating the caravan meeting with senior government officials, including the president of Guatemala, the defense minister, the foreign intelligence minister. And uh, so we've been trying to alert you as to what the facts are, that according to Guatemalan authorities, it was highly organized. Uh, The caravan consisted of too many criminals, gangbangers, and people like that. And uh, so uh, the leftist media wants no part of that information. You saw most recently this week developments showing that the next wave of caravans, or caravan, whatever you want to call it, included uh, attacks on the Mexican police at the Guatemala border. Uh, The U.S. ambassador or the uh, ambassador from Mexico to the United States is quoted today as saying the caravan includes uh, people who are violent. And so they're very much concerned about the threat to the public safety. Not only should we be concerned, but they're concerned about it in Mexico because their police are being uh, attacked as well. Uh, Now, Judicial Watch has been attacked for highlighting this caravan, Uh, the organization, uh, the organizing of it, uh, facts about it. Uh, The media is out there mischaracterizing what we said, suggesting that because we're criticizing George Soros uh, uh, by mentioning the fact he's very much involved Uh, with State Department funding and such, and the Guatemalans are concerned about it. So this is reporting about what the Guatemalans are concerned about, uh, but the left has decided that any criticism of George Soros is anti-Semitic, which is an outrageous smear on on Judicial Watch and on other conservatives who are also being attacked for criticizing George Soros. Now, I don't know if George Soros is specifically funding the caravans or his organizations are specifically involved, but I can tell you the Guatemalans are investigating as what, when, what's going on there. And we do know it's organized. The question is, how do we figure out who's behind the organizations? Now, the Guatemalans are investigating it, uh, and I suggest the United States investigate it as well. The Justice Department should be investigating who's behind 
this dangerous and massive human trafficking operation. Judicial Watch exposed how the Guatemalan authorities rescued seven children from human traffickers in one of the caravans heading our way. Seven children being trafficked up into the United States. As we highlighted, there are violent gangbangers in the caravan as well. According to Guatemalan authorities, MS-13, that group, uh, is likely to be part of the caravan based on our reporting, our reporting. So this is a, this is a dangerous situation. And the president is responding uh, really quite strongly, comparatively speaking, to prior presidents who have been terribly weak on matters of border security. Uh, he's sending down initially 5,000 military personnel to provide support at the border. He's potentially sending down as many as 15,000 military personnel. He's talking about reforming asylum, uh, the process, because that's the process they're trying to take advantage of. What happens is uh, if you come to the border and you're an illegal alien, you just have to say that you have a credible fear under asylum law of being returned back to your country and suffering some type of violence or, uh, or attack or something like that, and we have to process you under the law. And uh, the problem is we don't have enough capacity to process asylum claims quickly, so they can only be detained for so long uh, before they have to be released. And once they're released, it's all bets are off. They're free and clear. So that's, that's the system that's being assaulted and gamed uh, by this massive wave of car the massive caravan that's coming up. And it's been being gamed for years. It began during the Obama administration. It's continued and intensified recently during the Trump administration. I mean, you know, we see the news about the caravan that's coming, but in the meantime, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of people every day who are gaming the system at the border. And the president uh, suggested there's going to be reform there. I'm not quite sure what he's planning. What I, my, my guess is, uh, based on what the law would allow, is the Justice Department, this is a Justice Department issue, so they've got to get administrative law judges down on the border to quickly adjudicate these uh, asylum claims and then kick those who are uh, merit meritlessly asking for them out of the country. But there hasn't been enough infrastructure down there to do this, and I hope it changes. And certainly we need to increase the capacity to detain those who await uh, their asylum claim adjudications. Frankly, the way it ought to happen is uh, they can't come to the border through another country to ask for asylum claims if there's a third country they're passing through where they're safe. So pre pretending that you need an asylum claim because you're from Honduras and then you go through Guatemala and then Mexico and then ask the United States, that obviously doesn't make much sense, does it? They can ask for asylum claims at the consulate in Guatemala, wait in Guatemala, if Guatemala will let them wait there. They can ask for asylum claims, uh, make asylum claims at the consulates in Mexico, and they can wait there. I mean, that, that ought to be the rule. And to the degree there's an international law or international uh, treaty that the United States has agreed to uh, that has put this in this position, in theory, the international treaty for refugees and these types of asylum claims, it's designed to help people who truly face severe persecution. Not someone fleeing generalized issues of violence and poverty in their home countries. That's not what asylum was about. 
for instance, there's a, a Pakistani woman who was just uh, exonerated by the Supreme Court of Pakistan for supposedly uh, slandering the Prophet Muhammad, and she was facing hanging. The, uh, she's been on the death row of Pakistan for eight years, and the Supreme Court of Pakistan uh, just said that uh, the, the proceeding against her can't, has to stop, and she's going to be let go, I think. Now, she could be easily killed once she's let out of prison. It's that sort of person that our asylum laws are designed to protect. Get her here to the United States so she's not killed by Islamists in Pakistan trying to enforce this uh, this Sharia prohibition against slandering the prophet. That's what asylum claims are for. They're not for millions of Central Americans who don't like the economic conditions or social conditions in which they live. I mean, that's just not what it's for. And uh, the idea that they're not organized is, is, is baloney. As I, I just tweeted, uh, there, these caravans are about as, as organic as a plastic straw. They are organized. In fact, it's just announced today, I think the claim was filed yesterday, uh, that uh, members of the caravan are suing in the District of Columbia. So they're in Mexico, traveling on foot. They're destitute, right? But magically, they are now in federal court demanding that the Trump administration be stopped from enforcing our border laws and our asylum laws. And yet the left would tell you that it's completely organic and you know, these are just people on their own fleeing violence and poverty. And of course, Judicial Watch has already told you that a lot of them are criminals, too many of them are criminals. They're mostly men, men and women, I mean women and children involved in the caravan to the degree they're not being trafficked are in the small minority. Obviously, if it were women and children traveling up through Mexico, that'd be something easy to deal with, both in humanitarian in terms of the law and in terms of uh, humanitarian help for them in either in Guatemala or Mexico. The caravans are mostly men, and uh, we've, been we've been warned by Guatemalan officials about the criminal nature of a lot of the men in the caravan. We've been warned by Mexican officials by a lot of, about the criminal nature of those in the caravan. The, Mexicans, uh, the Mexican ambassador, said that he said they were armed with guns and Molotov cocktails. Uh, no, excuse me, Reuters reported that. Guns and Molotov cocktails at the border of Mexico. So I hope the president takes strong action, and and I suggested in an op-ed in The Hill this week, I encourage you to read it, that he send troops to interdict the caravan. Ask Mexico, you need help interdicting it? We'll send the troops to help you. Ask Guatemala, you need help with interdiction issues? We'll send the troops to help you. And the troops don't necessarily have to be in the front lines of the caravan, but we can provide logistical support to both Mexico and Guatemala I have a feeling Guatemala would be more welcoming than the anti-American politicians running Mexico. So that the proper authorities in both countries can do their jobs, assuming they want to do their jobs, and stop these caravans from assaulting our borders. Uh, the president also talked this week about, he was asked about the issue of birthright citizenship. I guess uh, 
Axios News, A-X-I-O-S, in an interview with uh, President Trump, asked him about this idea that I guess Axios had learned about, that the Trump administration was considering executive action, action enforcing the 14th Amendment, which prohibits, uh, according to President Trump's reading of the 14th Amendment, uh, the children of illegal aliens being treated as citizens. Because under current interpretation of the Constitution, not by Congress, not by the Supreme Court, but by the executive branch, uh, the children of illegal aliens are treated as citizens. Now, the idea that anyone would challenge that is sent the left into the stratosphere. Even Speaker Ryan, uh, the open borders amnesty politician who's the Speaker of the House of the Republicans, said the President can't do this by executive order. Well, first of all, we don't know what the executive order is going to be, so we don't know whether the President can do it by executive order. But as I suggested to you, the, uh, the executive branch has interpreted the Constitution to allow citizens to be a uh, citizenship to be granted to illegal aliens. And I think if the executive branch is interpreting the Constitution that way, they can change their interpretation to the more correct view that those who are the children of illegal aliens, even though they're born here in the United States, aren't United States citizens. I mean, that can't be. Do you think the founders or the writers of the 14th Amendment would have agreed with the notion that you can have what they call birth tourists coming here to the United States, having children, uh, getting citizenship for the children and going back home? 36,000 births a year, the last stat I saw. Now, the left doesn't want you to know the truth about what the 14th Amendment says because when they quote the 14th Amendment, they don't actually quote it as uh, in its entirety. And they say the Supreme Court interpreted it to make sure that the children of illegal aliens are granted citizenship. No, the Supreme Court hasn't interpreted the clause that way. At best, a Supreme Court decision from the late 1800s Interpreted the, decision, uh, interpreted the clause to allow the children of legal foreign residents to gain citizenship. And arguably that interpretation is wrong. But no Supreme Court decision has interpreted that the children of illegal aliens should be granted citizenship of the four, under the 14th Amendment. Why? Because I suspect, and this is what the left doesn't want you to, tell, want you to know, because the 14th Amendment doesn't require that. The 14th Amendment reads, and I have here uh, my Judicial Watch copy of the Constitution of the United States of America. You should go ahead and get a copy. You're online, you read it. Read the Constitution every once in a while. Remember what is the governing document that our government's supposed to follow. Because the politicians don't want you to know about it. Because <laughs> the gig is up if, you, if Americans understand what the Constitution's about and they realize how out of step our current government is with it. And thankfully, the president is raising questions about this. This is what the, the relevant clause of the 14th Amendment says. Let me get on my disguise here, as I say. 1868. The 14th Amendment, by the way, was passed to deal with the problem of uh, enslaved Americans. There was a dispute as to their citizenship status. The 14th Amendment settled that dispute. 
Section 1. All persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside. So when the left reads you the 14th Amendment, and I've seen this online, critics of President Trump's interpretation say all persons born or naturalized in the United States are citizens of the United States. They leave out the portion that says, and subject to the jurisdiction thereof. What does subject to the jurisdiction thereof mean? Are the children of illegal aliens subject to the jurisdiction thereof, the United States, the way the writers of the 14th Amendment understood it? Of course not. The children of a foreign diplomat aren't subject to the jurisdiction of the United States. The children of ambassadors aren't subject to the jurisdiction of the United States. This was designed to make sure that slaves born in America were treated as citizens. That's all. It wasn't designed to allow illegal aliens to come into the country illegally, have children, and get citizenship for their children. Of course that can't be the law. It's the way the executive branch has been interpreting the law recently, but it's not supported by the Constitution. It's not supported by the Constitution at all. Subject to the jurisdiction of the United States means that if you're here, it means you owe allegiance to this country and no other. An illegal alien or an alien here in the United States is not subject to the jurisdiction fully of the United States. They can't be drafted. Maybe they can be drafted, but they can't be called onto, jury, onto juries and other things that citizens, other benefits that citizens get. I tell you what, if the clause is read the way the left and the open borders crowd wants us to read it, why have any borders at all? Why even have citizenship status? I mean, we have, we have aliens in Mexico traveling in the United States who are demanding the protection of the Constitution while they're in Mexico. They want to make sure they can get into the United States illegally or enter it the way they want. Under that theory of the law, I, I can imagine why you have a lot of people saying subject to the jurisdiction of the United States means that illegal aliens can have children and have citizenship automatically granted to them. Now, I know that would be a big change in terms of the administrative state, but I think it's a discussion well worth having. Now, there could be, uh, and, and to be fair, there are people who think that President Trump is wrong, and they honestly think he's wrong. They've evaluated the history. They don't agree with him. They look at that Supreme Court decision I've talked about, they think that decision is, is guiding. And you can have a reasonable dispute about this. But, you know, we elect politicians to interpret and apply the law. The president can interpret and apply the law. The courts may intervene, however properly or improperly. But the idea that the Constitution of the United States requires us to grant citizenship to birth tours, the children of birth tours, uh, to me, it's just absurd. So I don't know how it's going to play out. I don't know what the executive order is going to be. Maybe his executive order is unconstitutional. Maybe it's an overreach. I don't know. But to say he can't do it by executive order, 
is just is just people just being very nervous. And the overreaction to this, saying how outrageous it is, it isn't outrageous. You re- I, I just read to you the 14th Amendment. You can go look up online the debates about this. And there's a reasoned argument behind President Trump's concerns. A perfectly reasonable argument. So this is something that the left hates to discuss. They hate to discuss the premises of open borders, the attraction of uh, flawed interpretations of U.S. law that brings more illegal immigration to the United States. You know what else they hate to discuss? The Constitution of the United States. So what I love about this debate, no matter how it turns out, we are talking about the Constitution and whether the government should follow the Constitution and how it's interpreting the Constitution. And that's a debate that is so rarely held in this town, it, you would think there was no Constitution. So I don't know how it's going to turn out, but I'm glad the president is raising it. So uh, let's move along next to our next big lawsuit. We've got a new lawsuit against the FBI. The FBI, if you received a uh, subpoena from the FBI or Justice Department, the FBI was enforcing a subpoena, and uh, they said, give us all your records. And you said to them, you know what, you can have all of, your rec- all of my records, but I don't consider text messages to be records, so you can't have those. What do you think the FBI would do? You know what they do? They go to your internet provider, get your text messages that way if they could, and they take your phones, or they take your computers. Well, the FBI has told us, in response to our FOIA request, that the law does not require them to maintain text messages. Whoa! So that means they can delete text messages. That means James Comey's text messages could be deleted and never looked at. That means Andrew McCabe's text messages, which they specifically told us they would not even bother to look for and review the fired FBI direct, uh, assistant director who's under criminal investigation. Lisa Page and Peter Strzok, text messages. We know some of those text messages may be missing. So the FBI is taking the legal position that text messages are not records under the federal records law, are not records subject to Freedom of Information Act requests. Only if by chance an FBI official decides to put text messages into their record-keeping system might they be searched. Well, that's a completely arrogant and lawless approach. It's a recipe for cover-up, and Judicial Watch isn't going to stand for it. Uh, And it's one thing to say we're upset about it. It's another thing to do something about it, which is what Judicial Watch did. We filed a lawsuit in federal court a little bit earlier this month. We announced it this week. We we argue that the FBI does not have a record-keeping program in place that provides effective controls over the maintenance of electronic messages, including text messages. The FBI relies upon its personnel to incorporate their text messages into a record-keeping system. If FBI personnel do not actively incorporate their text messages into a record-keeping system, the text messages are not preserved. So that was a legal way of uh, describing what I just described to you. So we are fighting not the James Comey FBI, but the uh, Mr. Ray's FBI about this issue. They are protecting James Comey. 
They are protecting Andrew McCabe. They're protecting Peter Strzok, Lisa Page, and who knows who, what, what else in terms of refusing to review FBI text messages. You know, and when I first complained about the Andrew McCabe text message issue, the President of the United States tweeted about it. He said he may have to get involved. Well, I hope he does get involved because we're still fighting this in court now. Because we know specifically with Andrew McCabe, where we have good reason to believe we're representing a senior FBI agent who's retired, Jeffrey Danik, who is um, suing for the text messages specifically of Andrew McCabe about his handling of the Clinton investigations. And they don't want to give us one text message the FBI doesn't. So these are core corruption issues, core transparency issues, and our nation's leading law enforcement agency, the FBI, wants to keep away every text message potentially that they have from scrutiny from the American people, Congress, and investigators. Because if there's no obligation to move them into a records-keeping system, that means individual members of the FBI, agents and others, can delete them at will, no matter what they say. And Judicial Watch is in federal court to try to stop that from happening. And you've got to ask yourself, why is Judicial Watch the one doing it? Where is everyone else? Where's Congress? Where's the Justice Department? Jeff Sessions runs the FBI as Attorney General. The FBI director reports, reports to the Justice Department. Rod Rosenstein, the number two at the Justice Department, he provides oversight of the FBI. So this is an FBI Justice Department scandal, which leads me to, to ask the next question, and maybe I'll go ask my colleagues after this weekly update, what about Justice Department text messages? Do we have to clarify that game? So once again, it's Judicial Watch in court trying to get answers for you, the American people. Try to make sure that your government, your FBI, follows the same rules every other American or every other government agency would have to follow. This FBI currently doesn't believe their text messages should be subject to review by anyone. And we're in court to stop that. And to stop potentially, I don't know, how many thousands of text messages from being deleted each and every day by FBI officials about the Trump targeting, Clinton emails, you name the scandal. And this ought to be something that the left and the right would agree on, don't you think? Because I'm sure there are leftists who are concerned about some activities of the FBI and would want documents, including text messages about it, and of course conservatives who are asking questions about the FBI as well. So we'll see what happens here in federal courts. I'll let you know. Another big lawsuit, Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton, until recently, I think it was thanks to Judicial Watch we got the detail, had a security clearance. Yeah, a security clearance. This person who had ignored warnings from her security staff, knowingly, mishandled classified information, put it on the Internet equivalent of a public park bench, lied about having classified information on her system. She said she never sent or received it. In fact, she did. 
deleted classified documents improperly or attempted to delete them, had a security clearance up until August of this year. And uh, Judicial Watch, in the aftermath, you recall in August, President Trump took steps to remove the security clearances of um, specifically John Brennan, as I recall, the uh, out-of-control CIA director under Barack Obama, who was sending out weirdly threatening tweets to President Trump and uh, uh, had no business having a security clearance. He'd been out of government for 18 months. You see, they have this corrupt insider Washington uh, program for former government officials who are senior. They're giving courtesy national security clearances. Courtesy national security clearances. They don't need them. And the fact they're giving the security clearances are not because of the national security needs of the United States. Arguably, the national security is threatened by giving security clearances for silly reasons. But the security clearances help bolster the resumes of uh, former officials as they market themselves in the private market. Oh, look, we've got this former top senior official for an administration in our lobbying firm. Oh, and he's connected. Why? Because he still has a security clearance. So they don't need him. National security is harmed by having them, but uh, they still get them. And so the president, frankly, should withdraw that whole, stop that whole process, agencies from the agencies that allow former officials to have national security clearances, if they're senior enough. If you're a regular guy or gal who leaves government employment, they cut your security clearance off. But not if you're John Brennan, and not if you're Hillary Clinton, who's criminally investigated for violating the classified information laws, and she gets to keep her national security clearance. And not only that, she was able to get some of her friends' national security clearances as well, quote, under the guise of being researchers. So this is what happened. After the Brennan news broke with President Trump, we said, well, what about Hillary Clinton? Does she still have a national security clearance? And the, just, and the State Department at the time refused to talk, uh, tell the media one way or another whether it did. So what we did was we filed a request in August 21st for her national security clearance information. Nine days later, she administratively withdrew it. This is according to records produced to Chuck Grassley at the Senate just recently. Now, supposedly, uh, Clinton's people are saying, well, they, she, would, she withdrew, uh, her, uh, withdrew her national security clearance because she objected to the way Brennan had been treated. I don't believe that for one minute. I think it's no coincidence that she withdrew it after we asked questions about it. I think it's no coincidence she withdrew it after Brennan's was withdrew in the sense that she recognized that she didn't want to be known to have a security clearance given all of her uh, misconduct as it related to classified information. And she knew also that she was being investigated by the State Department over these violations. That's all in the letter that was sent to Chuck Grassley, it looks like, uh, I think it was September 21st, but it was only released recently. The letter says that on uh, security clearances were administratively withdrawn for Clinton aide Cheryl Mills and four other redacted names who had been granted access to classified information through a request made by Secretary Clinton designating them as researchers. Isn't that outrageous? The letter also suggests that Mrs. Clinton and her aides 
may have been cited for valid security incidents. Oh, isn't that interesting? Valid security incidents. The October 12th news release from the Senate Judiciary Committee said that the news of Clinton's national security clearance was part of an update from the State Department on its ongoing review of its mishandling of classified information related to the use of Clinton's non-governmental email server. Department authorities are continuing to review tens of thousands of documents for classified content. So we're getting these classified documents, obviously redacted. But there's the news. There's an ongoing review by the State Department over this mishandling issue. Did you read about that in the newspaper anywhere? My guess is no. My guess is this Judicial Watch report is the first time you're hearing that the State Department is not only reviewing the mishandling classified information by Hillary Clinton and others, but that there's a fire, they're tracking it. And I got the letter here. Hold on a second. So this is the letter that Chuck Rassley's referencing. So they're reviewing these documents, and this is the key part. So they identify them as, so they get these Clinton emails, and they see if they're classified, and then they're sent to the Diplomatic Security Service, according to the letter. All identified and valid security incidents contained in these documents have been forwarded to the Bureau of Diplomatic Security's Office of Personnel Security and Suitability. That's the nice way of saying they're security guys at the State Department. To be placed in the official security file of individuals identified in that review as having valid security incidents. So all valid security incidents are reviewed by DS, Diplomatic Security, and take it into account every time an individual's eligibility for access to classified information is considered. So what the State Department is telling or telegraphing, they don't say this specifically, so I'm, re- I'm, kind, of, I'm kind of interpreting the document. The document strongly suggests that there were valid security incidents by Hillary Clinton and her top people, and it's been placed in their file. And in theory, when they ask for security clearances again, that file will be reviewed, and hopefully, who knows, I doubt it will be reviewed in a serious way, and security clearances would be, and and for anyone else, denied. So there are a few scandals here. Uh, One, that Hillary Clinton had a security clearance for two years, almost, three years after it was uncovered, she was breaking every rule on the book related to the handling classified information. Recall, it was first uncovered in 2014 that she was breaking the rules, at least officially. So now it's 2018, and it was only recently that she had her security clearance removed. Who in the State Department is responsible for that decision-making? Who in the Justice Department is responsible? Who in the Office of Director of National Intelligence is responsible? Senator Coates, Jeff Sessions, Rex Tillerson, Secretary Pompeo, at least, uh, is the current Secretary of State. I hope that Secretary Pompeo looks at Judicial Watch's lawsuit, which is about this whole mess, because we have a FOIA lawsuit. I didn't tell you that. We have a FOIA lawsuit about this. And he gives us documents about how the security clearance issue was handled about Hillary Clinton and Cheryl Mills and her other top aides. So, uh, you know, I've been telling you that Judicial Watch is doing all the work on Hillary Clinton's email scandal, but it's also even on the basic national security violations that are still at issue. 
Congress isn't doing this. Uh, the administration is only uh, telling us about it because of pressure from Judicial Watch. And they send the letter to Grassley. The letter was generated by Judicial Watch's snooping around and asking questions about it. Guarantee you that. So Hillary Clinton supposedly pulled or threw her security clearance, which raises questions why she had it in the first place. That's what we're in court about. So as I said at the top of the hour, um, the left has circled the wagons around George Soros, smearing Judicial Watch and others for even asking questions and exposing the truth about the Soros Open Society operation, which I think plans to spend a billion dollars this year alone. A billion dollars. They're active all over the world, especially in Europe and Central and South America. And uh, Judicial Watch has been asking questions about taxpayer funding for the Soros operations. Why is George Soros getting your tax dollars to advance an agenda that uh, would never survive a vote in Congress or not be supported by the president, but is supported by the bureaucrats at the State Department? It happened during the Obama administration, as best I can tell, the funding continues during the Trump administration. So that's the work we're going to keep on doing. And we're not going to be cowed by hardcore leftists who are desperate to protect George Soros from being held accountable. So we have new documents that we released this week uh, from uh, the State Department as a result of a lawsuit. Again, we had to sue to get basic information about how your money is being spent especially with respect to George Soros, and he has an Open Society Foundation in Romania. And the documents show that top Soros representatives in Romania collaborated with the State Department in a program funded by, among others, the Open Society Foundation, a Soros operation in Romania, and USAID, which is a vehicle for getting foreign funding and foreign aid out to groups abroad by, your, by our government, your tax dollars. It's called the Open Government Partnership. It's not about open government, by the way. It's about left-wing government. You can look it up. You can see it's a, it's a left-wing operation uh, using the guise of open government. Because who's against open government? We're not against open government. So the documents show that the State Department's official on the ground in Romania was regularly meeting with a Soros uh, 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 person who, uh, Ovico... Ovidio Voishu, I think his name. It's O-V-I-D-I-U. Last name is V-O-I-C-U. He's executive director of the Romanian non-governmental organization called the Center for Public Innovation, which describes itself as a spin-off of Soros' Open Society Foundation Romania. So this State Department official is sending out emails, you know, saying, hey, join us for a conversation with this guy. He sends out another email to a Romanian government saying that he, um, uh, he had a meeting with an Open Society Romania colleague regarding the possibility of Romania committing to this left-wing enterprise called Open Government, the Open Government Partnership. And this is how the State Department describes Soros' operations in Romania. Since 1990, the Soros' Foundation for Open Society was one of the main donors in Romania and other former communist countries, financing sociological research 
education, social inclusion, good governance, civic culture, and integrated community intervention. Okay, that's all, those are all mask. George Soros is a hardcore leftist. He supports leftism and socialism. Okay, so this is a dishonest description of it. Some of those are social inclusion. Uh, I don't know what that means. Uh, sociological research, I don't know what that means. But you can imagine it means something different for the left than it does for conservatives. The most influential Romanian NGOs, as well as politicians, researchers, and other players who had scholarships abroad benefited by its financing. Now, of course, there's been a pushback against Soros in Europe for this meddling that the State Department details for you. The main donors in Romania and other former communist countries. So the left would have you believe that Soros isn't doing anything in these countries, but the State Department confirms he's one of the main donors in these countries. And in Romania specifically, the most influ- uh, was behind funding some of the most influential people in Romania. And so when governments in those countries react, they're reacting against George Soros pushing his agenda through these nonprofit NGOs and other activities, and again, partnering with the State Department to push it. We have the documents. Now, you know, we have an entire special counsel investigating Russia influence here in the United States, illegal Russia influence here in the United States, right? But other countries are not allowed to object to the presence of foreign-funded NGOs advocating a specific political agenda? How's that work? As I said, the Soros groups are uh, getting the left-wing media to try to attack anyone who criticizes him, but we're not going to be cowed. We've got three lawsuits on Soros. We have a special report on Soros' funding of NGOs in Guatemala. Read that. Go to our website. We'll put it up on our feed here, too. They don't want you to know the truth that the State Department and George Soros have been working closely together, and they get tens of millions. The Soros Open Foundation, Open Society Foundations, gets not only the kind of official stamp of approval by State Department officials in other countries, but they're able to get our money as well, tens of millions of dollars. We have the documents. So the left doesn't want you to know about this. So this is why I come on and talk about it, because you won't hear about it anywhere else uh, but from Judicial Watch. So uh, we've got other material coming out on George Soros next week, his Open Society Foundations and taxpayer money for him. So we're not backing down. We're not backing down. We won't be smeared. We won't be defamed. We won't be liable. We're not going to stop highlighting that this far-left, well-funded organization is getting your tax dollars to advance an agenda that most Americans would disagree with and be outraged about. So, a lot coming up. More lawsuits to talk about. Uh, Clinton email court hearings this month. And, of course, we have the election next week. And I'm going to end with that. I don't know what's going to happen in the elections. I don't. Anyone tells you they know what's going to happen, you're just guessing. 
So I have guesses, but I won't, I won't share them with you because uh, my guess is as good as yours, right? But no matter what happens, you can trust Judicial Watch to keep on doing its work. I keep on telling you that it doesn't matter what Congress is doing, Judicial Watch will just does its own investigations. So if Republicans lose Congress, it makes no difference to Judicial Watch in the sense that Judicial Watch is always doing its lawsuits and investigations independent of whatever Congress is doing. We've always been the leader in doing government oversight. Congress has never been, uh, at least recently been, effective in that area at all. Now, there'll be less oversight if uh, one party wins versus the other on particular topics, but Judicial Watch will keep on doing its independent oversight. So no matter what happens in Congress, don't worry. Judicial Watch will be there to do its independent investigations. So with that, as long as you're supporting us and stand with us as we do this hard work, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll keep on winning on behalf of the rule of law and accountable government for you. So uh, if you have it, be sure to vote next week. If you want to vote, be sure to vote next week. And I will see you next week as we talk about the aftermath of the election. We'll talk about our litigation. As I say, big uh, court hearings coming up on Hillary Clinton. I'll give you a briefing on that. More Soros information. And uh, just uh, the border crisis will continue to escalate, and we'll have a report on that, I'm sure, as well. So thanks for joining us, and I'll see you next time. You have just listened to Tom Fitton's weekly update on JW TalkNet. Remember to subscribe and donate at judicialwatch.org slash donate.